right, last week we uh, considered 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7, and the heart of a giver. The characteristics of the Macedonian churches that Paul used to motivate the Corinthian churches in their, the Corinthian church in their gift to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so I know that's a lot to unpack, but here's, here it is just in a, in a little bit of an explanation in a paragraph. Uh, Paul wanted the Corinthian church to give. He desired that they would give uh, an offering so that they could give this money to the saints in Jerusalem who were suffering because of persecution, because of famine. They were living in poverty. And so in order to motivate them, Paul talks about the way the Macedonian churches gave. And he uses them as an example. We covered those things last week. These are also characteristics that should describe the way we give as well. And so those were this giving that is motivated by God's grace. Giving even in difficult circumstances. He talked about the great persecution and poverty of the Macedonian churches. Giving with joy giving with generosity, uh, giving proportionately, giving sacrificially, giving voluntarily, and giving as worship. The Macedonians didn't just give because uh, they wanted to give. They had already given themselves. And because they had given themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, giving certainly came easier for them. And so you might have noticed even last week that we didn't say much about verses 6 and 7. Uh, those verses are a bit like transitional. And so particularly verse 6 transitions into talks about Titus, and, and that line of thinking gets picked up next week as we move into verse 16. But verse 7 acts as a hinge verse between all that we talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week. And so it reads this way, but as you excel in everything, Corinthians, you excel in faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, we don't have time to dig into all the amazing hyperlinks that this verse would provide us back to 1 Corinthians. But if you know in 1 Corinthians, Paul brags on the Corinthians, and the Corinthians kind of brag on themselves prior to that letter about all of the gifts they have, all of the blessings that God has given them as a church. They're a very gifted church. They're gifted in knowledge, they're gifted in wisdom, they're gifted in speech, they're gifted in wealth. And so Paul uses that and pulls from that and says, you're, you're gifted in all of these ways. Now excel in this grace also. Use this gift to give to others. And as the passage continues, Paul wants to make it abundantly clear that this is in no way a command. Jesus has not directed his apostle to, to mandate that the church in Corinth give to this particular offering. He asks them to give voluntarily in their participation. And that's really the launching point uh, for today's text, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 8. If you'll follow along as I read. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness, by the earnestness of others, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment or I give my advice or opinion. This benefits you 
who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that we've been able to enjoy so far in our time together today. God, I've enjoyed the fellowship. I've enjoyed the prayer. I've enjoyed the songs that we've been able to sing. God, I pray now that you would bless your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to do it and surrender ourselves to it. We thank you for your truth. We pray the same for our kids downstairs today as they're learning these truths of Scripture. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First point I want to make today, beginning here, is Christians are giving people. This is where Paul begins with his argument. Christians are giving people. And uh, you might argue and say, well, I've met some Christians uh, who weren't very giving people. They were stingy. Uh, they were greedy. Uh, years ago, we had an old retired pastor here, and he would sometimes uh, tell the story of a, a time they were passing the plates for an offering in the church, and the usher had come to a row. There was a man sitting on the side, and the man handed the plate to the usher, and he didn't put anything in, and the usher kind of awkwardly held it there in front of the man for a moment, and then held it a little bit longer till it got really uncomfortable. And then he leaned down to the man, and he said to him, well, if you're not going to put anything in, you might as well take something out, because it's for the heathen anyway. And uh, that... that <laughs> Now, that, that may not be the tactic or the approach uh, that we would take, but it does make a point. Paul says if Christians are, I, I would say this, if Christians are stingy and greedy, it might not be that they're Christians at all. Because the point Paul is making here is Christians are giving people. Paul doesn't have to command genuine Christians to give because giving to others is the outworking of the Spirit of God in a person's life. The Holy Spirit produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in us. And so as we think about that fruit of the Spirit, giving is kindness, isn't it? Giving is goodness. Giving is a loving thing to do. And this is Paul's first point in verse 8. Look back there with me. To prove that your love also, like that of the Macedonians, is genuine. Giving proves our love for God. Giving proves our love for our neighbors. This is what's so compelling about the story of Zacchaeus that we read at the beginning of the service. His life was changed that day. Before, he was a scoundrel. Before, he was a scavenger. He was taking and taking and taking. But on the day he met Jesus... His life completely changed. 
He said, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I've defrauded fourfold, I will make restitution. His life was changed when he met Jesus Christ. But Paul makes this point more concrete as we move into verse 9. Giving is fundamental to Christianity. Giving is fundamental to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. For those of you who were here last week, we did look at the example that he gives of the Macedonians. How the Macedonians gave. But this week, Paul takes us straight to the source of giving the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Notice what he says in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. I want you to notice that Paul uses a a similar style to that of that great gospel verse back in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where he talks about how Jesus was made sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In these verses, we see this exchange happening, the, the exchange that the gospel requires. Sin has to be exchanged for righteousness. Poverty has to be exchanged for riches. And here in verse 9, we're meant to be humbled as we realize the humility of Jesus. The rich one who became poor so that he might make us rich. Kent Hughes writes it this way. He says, though Christ in his pre-existence with the Father could hold a white hot star in the palm of his hand, he emptied himself of his riches and he became one of us. And then he died for us. Such was his poverty. Let the poverty of Jesus sit with you for a moment. How he left his riches so that we might become rich in him. Philippians 2 speaks to that, doesn't it? This is the the mind of Christ that though he was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Jesus took upon himself the form of a, a man, a servant. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. This is the humility of our Savior. And through his humble poverty, he now offers us the riches of his righteous life. We stand as we sing faultless before the throne because Jesus came in poverty. The riches of eternity with Him forever. The point is Corinthians and Meadowview as followers of Jesus. Giving is our new nature. And we cannot escape this new nature. Thank God for that. It's who we are. Following Christ on this path of discipleship turns out to be following a path of extravagant, grace-filled giving. That's the path He's on. So with that powerful reminder, Paul now personally addresses the Corinthians. He addresses their need to complete what they have started. He tells them, it's time for you to follow through with the desires that have been laid on your heart. Now, when I was a mediocre basketball player, my coaches would drive into my head, your follow through on your shot matters. Right? You know, we're talking about when you, when you shoot the jump shot, You don't just do that. 
You follow through. You let your hand sit there for a little bit because you have to complete the motion. For those of you who are golfers, you follow through with your golf swing, right? You don't just swing and then stop right when you get to the ball or just past it. You let that club fly all the way back and around. Just keep it in your hand and don't let it fly. Follow through matters. In verse 10, Paul offers the Corinthians this advice. You could say it's his opinion. He says, this benefits you. Corinthians, this benefits you. Paul wants the Corinthians to know that their participation in this offering will have a benefit for them. He doesn't immediately share how. We're going to come to that in a moment. Instead, he reminds them of their desire, their initial desire to participate in this opportunity, this offering that was first introduced to them about a year ago. This is a callback to Paul's previous correspondence, his conversations that he's had with the Corinthians. Particularly, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 16. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. Paul reminds them of both their their initial desire and their commitments that they made to set aside funds for this particular offering. Culminates in verse 11, where we find the only imperative command in both chapters 8 and 9. The only direct command in these chapters on giving is found here in verse 11. That's significant. What's the command? So now finish doing it as well. Or finish what you started. I really appreciated this quote that I found as I was studying this week. It says, Paul's words have reminded us that a great deal of ministry, a great deal of discipleship involves challenging people to align their expressed desires with their actions. Helping one another do what we know we need to do. Paul says, Corinthians, we're coming soon, so finish the job before we get there. See it through. Brings us back to the this benefits you comment of verse 10. Paul commands them to act. He says this, so that, do this, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. There is a benefit to finishing what you set out to do, isn't there? We know that feeling. We know the benefit. Paul's advice is you started it, now now see it through. Now complete it. The principal advice here is that desires cannot be fully realized until they are acted upon. That can apply to a lot of different areas of life. It's similar to the principle we find in in James chapter 2 where James says, faith without works is dead. He tells that story, he says, if a man comes and he's hungry, and he's cold, and he says, hey, I'm hungry and I'm cold, and you say, be filled and be warmed, God bless you. There's no advantage to that if you don't give him a coat, and if you don't give him any food. Sentiment doesn't go that far. It isn't enough to clothe or feed a man. Only when we follow through do we truly experience the joy of that desire being fulfilled. If we never follow through, if we never finish those things that we start, if we never act on those God-given desires, leaves a wearisome void, doesn't it? 
You know, this can apply to all of the half-done projects at your house, too. <laughs> For all of you, yeah. We, we finish them. When we finish what we start, there's a sense of fulfillment, isn't there? But when we got that half project done, what, what consumes us? There's an anxiety. It just weighs on us that that thing is not yet done. Did you notice there at the very end of verse 11, here's how Paul concludes it, out of what you have. Finish what you started. Finish your desire. Do it out of what you have. This sparks Paul's final point, our final point. God uses proportional giving. Paul says you give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. He's not saying you can't give sacrificially, but he is offering a piece of wisdom here. Don't impoverish yourself in trying to ease another's burden. Here, here's what he's warning against. Maybe somebody there in Corinth would have heard Paul's plea and they said, I'm just going to sell everything that I have. And then I'm going to give all of these proceeds to this particular offering. Well, now what position is that person in? And who's going to help that person now deal with their poverty? He's created an additional burden even there on his brothers and sisters in Corinth. And so Paul is warning about it. He says, give, give sacrificially, but give wisely as well. His reasoning is based on what he says at the end of verse 13. Notice this. This is a matter of fairness. Or as some versions translated, it's a matter of equity or equality. And so Christian giving is a matter of fairness. It's a matter of equality. Some of you are like, whoa, pastor, you're sounding a little socialist. Equity, equality, fairness. Well, first note that it's Scripture that intentionally uses these words. Notice again in verse 14 what it says. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness or equality. This kind of language doesn't mix well oftentimes with our American ideals of individualism, our personal rights, our freedoms. We read some of those passages from Acts where people are selling their stuff so that they can give the money to the church and it benefits everybody and we, ooh, it's a little cringy for us. We don't think too kindly when people start talking about sharing or, or, or wealth redistribution. It's important that we remember here, Paul isn't commanding or mandating that the Corinthians would give some of their money to the struggling saints in Jerusalem. But I would say this, and I think this is a big, a big thing to understand. Giving of our abundance to others who are in need is mandated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're going to follow Jesus, who impoverished himself for our benefit, doesn't that mean that we will impoverish ourselves for the benefits of others? Doesn't it mean that we'll give out of our abundance so that others might have? I think it does. I think if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to follow Jesus. If we're going to let Jesus live through us, then Jesus is going to live through us. Wealth sharing is how God takes care of His children. 
We could have a whole other side conversation here about how through the centuries maybe the church has failed on this front and the government has had to take over in certain instances of taking care of people where maybe the church should have. But God providentially oversees our giving so that it leads to fairness. There's a quote here in verse 15. It's a quote taken from Exodus 16, verse 18, and it illustrates his particular point. What's going on in Exodus 16? Well, Israel is grumbling against the Lord. Why did you bring us out here? We had food in Egypt. We had the things that we needed in Egypt, and now we're out here and we don't have anything. And so God says, you know what? I'm going to rain down bread from heaven every night. Manna. And you're going to go out and you're going to collect that manna every morning and you're going to use it to feed your family that day. And then it's going to repeat itself the next night and you're going to use it to feed your family that day. God said, I'll miraculously provide the food that you need. But there's stipulations that come uh, with that particular collection, right? He says, don't collect more than you need. Collect what you need for the day, and then that'll be it. And I know, and the Scripture says, and is abundantly clear, that there were guys, I'm just going to, Zophar, that sounds like a good Israeli name. He decided on that first morning, I'm going to get five baskets full of this stuff. And he took it in, and they ate two baskets worth. When they woke up the next morning, maggots. It stank. Took more than he needed. Their tent smelled bad now. Paul's point is this. No matter how many baskets they took home, by morning God had equaled everything out. There was no stockpiling of the manna. He brought fairness to what happened. So if you took what you needed, you had what you needed, you took more than you needed, then you had what you needed, and the rest he took away. And as the Corinthians give of their abundance to the struggling saints in Jerusalem, God is balancing things out among his children. I have blessed you with abundance for the purpose of helping them in their need. That's the point that he's making in his quotation. And he is a good he is a faithful, he is a gracious and just and merciful God, isn't he? Do you know him? Do you, do you know him? Have you personally experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to realize your spiritual poverty? Have you come to a point in your life where you recognize, I don't have the riches that I think I have. I need them from somewhere else. Have you awakened to the riches that Christ offers you through His life and through His death and through His resurrection? Jesus offers you eternal riches. As Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? He means blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy before God. Because it's when we recognize that I cannot be good enough. That my works won't measure up. That I don't have the wealth it's when we recognize our spiritual depravity 
that we're on our way to the kingdom of heaven. That we know in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. That grace, that grace of Jesus that we know in the salvation that we experience is our example, it's our motivation, it's our empowerment to give back to the Lord what is already His and to give to our neighbors, others who are in need, Jesus gave, so we give. We're His followers. Jesus gave, so we who possess His Spirit, we give as Jesus gave. So what are we to give to? What what do we give to? The options are endless. Well, it's my belief that these principles apply to all giving. There's an application that can be made that that we give to, to regular offerings that support the local church that we're a part of. Offerings that support the building, the lights, the staff, the the curriculum and the things that operate within a church that help us to fulfill our mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known. We give to our missions partners. We give so that because we can't physically go to Toronto every week, we can't physically go to Brazil, Ethiopia, and the other places, we send our missions partners. We support them in the gospel work that they're performing, they're participating in. We give to our Man of Feeding Center so that kids in Fiji who might not otherwise have a good meal that day can have a good meal. But it's not just about the food. They, they hear every time the, the bread of life, the story of Christ, what He's done for them. Even to our building project. But the purest point of application that we can make from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is giving to those in need. That's the interpretation, right? That's what's happening here. Give to those in need. And there's an application that can be made for those who are outside of the church and we think of those in our community and we, we are able to partner oftentimes with people helping people in the Republic Pregnancy Resource Center in different situations and circumstances and help people to pay their utility bills. Giving to those in need who are our neighbors. But specifically what's being targeted here, the particular giving is to brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. Helping those of the household of faith. Within your own congregation, within your own local church, but also those who are maybe outside of your local church, here and abroad. But today, I'm compelled to give some focused attention to our increase initiative. That's our building fund. I want to draw some specific application because currently what what stands between us and us having the space we need to continue to develop disciples uh, here in our community is $1.9 million. And so let me briefly recap a few points here. Like the Corinthians, the desire, the need is realized, isn't it? We get it. If you participate in ministry here, you know if you show up for Awana, you know, yeah, we need, we need some space. You come to a Sunday like this, you recognize, yeah, this is pretty crowded. It's getting hot in here today. All these people. We recognize the need is present. 
Also like the Corinthians, the plans have been drawn up and the plans have been presented. Actually, about a year ago, like the Corinthians. We laid before you, here's the direction we're looking to go. We've been praying about this. We've been continuing to add details to those plans. And so as Paul commanded the Corinthians to finish what you started, I stand here today with a very similar message. It's time that we finish what we've started and begin to collect for this particular project. The time is here. And I do not claim to be a great fundraiser, never done this, I'm not a great cheerleader, feel like I'm probably a lot like Paul, kind of no nonsense in this. We recognize the need, now let's begin to give to the need. And I will say this, it is beneficial for you. I can echo Paul's sentiment. It is beneficial for us to finish, yes, what we started. It is beneficial for us. It'll be beneficial for us in our ministry. It'll be beneficial for us for future generations. I can't help but think as I think of a new building of the past generation, most of them, probably all of them at this point, dead and gone, who put their blood, sweat, tears, money into this building that we've been able to enjoy. For so many years that God's used for his purposes now for so many years and now it's our turn to make an investment in the next generation as God continues to build his church here so that when we're dead and gone our children and our grandchildren will be able to continue to have an effective ministry and so today as you leave you're going to receive a commitment card It's going to look like this. Hopefully you've already been praying. We've encouraged you. We've been moving very slow through this process. And we asked you back at Thanksgiving to just begin to pray about what God might be encouraging you to do, what desires He may be laying on your heart, what your family might be able to commit in the coming years. But we would ask that you would return these cards sometime over the next couple weeks. Uh, These are going to help us to make wise decisions moving forward as a church. We're asking you to give sacrificially, but we're asking you to give with wisdom as well, and then to follow through, to follow through with the giving. It's going to give us a better sense of of what it looks like moving forward, when we can break ground, when we need to take out loans, and all of that that will come along this particular process. Um, If you're somebody who desires and I want to give a a, a bigger gift or you know somebody who's going to do that, that is absolutely fine. We take those at any time along the way. Uh, But this will just simply help us to track what monthly payments could look like and so on and so forth. I'll have a little more to say um, in a moment, but I just want us now to, to bow, to give an opportunity for us to be responsive I'm not asking you right now to be responsive to here's what I'm going to give. I'm asking you right now to just simply be responsive. First of all, to recognizing what Christ has done for us. Buildings will burn up. Money will be useless. Christ will remain. His church will remain. The souls of men and women will remain. Friends, 
Don't misunderstand me today. That is what matters. And if you're here today and you maybe are realizing your poverty, I plead with you to turn to Christ today. He will make you rich in His righteousness. He will make you rich in eternity. As He gives His life for you as he gives you his righteousness and takes your sin, you will find joy that cannot be matched. If that's you today and you need to make that decision, I would invite you to come over here to my right. There's a room that's labeled the prayer room. We would love to help you to think through that. We would love to answer your questions and pray with you. For those of us who are in Christ, we're here today. Giving is in our new nature. It's abundantly clear from what Paul expresses. We give out of love. We give out of the example of Jesus. And so I just encourage you to surrender yourself. Submit yourself not to what I'm saying, but to what God encourages us to do in these verses. Let's just take a moment. Let's pray. Father, we are most thankful today for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. What grace. Help us to not take what Jesus has done for us for granted. Not one moment of any given day. Help us to live out of that truth. And as you maybe give us an abundance, Lord, we look around and we see that we're meant to give of that abundance to somebody else in need. Not to squander it all on ourselves but to benefit your kingdom, your work, your gospel, the advancement of it. God, we've prayed many times, Lord, for this ministry. We've had seasons of famine in the past, but Lord, I am grateful that this is a giving church. I'm grateful for the faithfulness of so many who give regularly, and that we don't have to preach a sermon on 2 Corinthians chapter 8 out of some great necessity. But God, you also know the needs and the desires that are in front of us for additional space. And Lord, we're asking once again that you would supply those needs, that you would use us, um, Lord, so that we can move and move as, as quickly as you want us to move on breaking ground, not just to expand our facility, but to expand the gospel ministry, to be able to use it for greater purposes than we could ever even begin to imagine much in the sense of the way that this building's been used for decades now. 
Thank you for that. Thank you for the sacrifice of many. Thank you for a place like this to worship, that on a cold day we can be warm. On a hot day we can be cool. We're just thankful for these many graces that you do give us. And we pray, Lord, your blessing, your direction, your wisdom, in Jesus' name.